Uno di questi, per esempio, momenti belli, sono stati anche diversi, no? Pietro Bartolo is a recently retired doctor on the Italian island of Lampedusa, where for 30 years he has helped and treated migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean from North Africa to Europe. Yeah, one of the beautiful moments of his life was... Uh, one of the most beautiful moments of his life, he told the Irish Times, was at a recent ceremony commemorating the victims of one of the many accidents in the sea around Lampedusa. He saw a girl was going towards him with a bunch of flowers. She was pregnant. It was a pregnant woman who he helped save from shipwreck years before. She came from Sweden. But this happy story does not reflect the broader reality. In the water around Lampedusa, a new law is making it harder for rescuers to aid stricken migrant ships. It is now forbidden to carry out multiple rescues, even if this NGO has the capacity to save several migrant boats that are at risk of sinking. And a new UN report suggests that the EU is also culpable in creating the horrific conditions that drive migrants onto boats and into danger. Although we are not saying that the EU and its member states have committed these crimes, the point is that the support given has aided and abated the commission of the crimes. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the terrible dilemmas faced by Mediterranean migrants and Europe's role in creating them. Irish Times reporter Jade Wilson is in Italy. She's been on the island of Lampedusa to see the impact of new laws designed to crack down on rescue vessels helping migrants in difficulty in the Mediterranean. Jade, what is this new legislation? This is a new law passed in Italy earlier this year, um, essentially establishing a code of conduct for migrant charity ships. And it's part of Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney's efforts to crack down on rescue vessels. One of the main issues NGOs patrolling the Mediterranean have taken with it is that it requires these ships to request access to a port and then sail to it without delay. And this is after a single rescue, rather than them remaining at sea like they would have to look for more migrant boats in distress. So it just means that rescue ships can't remain at sea for as long as they used to without facing punishment like fines or or having the ship detained. Um, And they're also being assigned more distant ports. So if a ship sees uh, migrants in difficulty, a boat that's capsized or whatever, and people in the water, they can go out and rescue as many they can in one go, and then they have to leave, even if there are people still in the water, even if they know there are people still in difficulty somewhere. Technically, yeah. Now, whether they actually follow that is another thing, but that's what they're being asked. And, uh, you know, previously, these rescue vessels would have gone out and done um, four, maybe on average, rescues per rotation. Um, and now they're having to do one. So that's a difference of, again, on average, maybe 100 people being rescued um, now, whereas previously, on average, that would have been about 280 people. Now, Lampedusa, it's a tiny island. It's closer to North Africa uh, than the Italian mainland, and it's one of the main arrival points for migrants coming from Libya and Tunisia. Do we have any idea how many people arrive to the island every year? 
it varies every year, but it's it's been well into the thousands per year for for about a decade now. Um, for 2021, which is the last year that there's been um, kind of completed estimates for, it was estimated that more than 30,000 migrants reached Lampedusa. Um, that's before they they're moved elsewhere by authorities. So that figure actually represents more than half the number of migrants um, who arrived in all of Italy that year. And I suppose other than that as well, we know that nearly 26,000 people have died or, or gone missing while attempting to cross the Mediterranean as well since 2014. And a police source on the island has told me that when the weather and, and the conditions at sea are better, which is throughout basically the whole summer, um, it's not uncommon for hundreds of people to arrive per day in Lampedusa as well. We've heard some real horror stories coming out of Lampedusa and the sea surrounding it. So the new law curtailing rescue missions for stricken migrant boats is particularly severe because many migrants are travelling in vessels that are overcrowded and not fit for purpose. That's true. Often they're fleeing to Europe and paying huge amounts of money to smugglers to help them get there. So that means, you know, the conditions they're ending up in are on these small boats with far more people than it's safe to be on board with at once, um, sometimes without life jackets as well. Some of these boats are maybe on average 11 metres long. Um, they're designed to carry, you know, a maximum of 15 people, maybe safely. Um, but, you know, up to 50 people can be crammed onto these boats. So obviously that increases the risks as well. And they're low quality, they're inflatable. Um, after a few hours at sea, especially if they're on the cheaper end, um, they can be prone to deflate. In the past as well, migrants attempted the crossing in, in old fishing boats bought from fishers in, in places like Libya and Turkey. Um, but even if their journey is successful on in these kind of conditions, they, they'll often arrive um, on European shores with uh, you know conditions like hypothermia, malnutrition, um, other kind of wounds from the journey as well. And of course, then there's those who don't make it. The bodies of five women have been recovered on the Italian island of Lampedusa after their boat capsized in stormy seas. Three bodies were recovered. Already this year, there have been several boats that capsized en route to Europe. Um, so dozens of people have died, including children, um, on those boats this year. On afternoon, 149 people, including 13 women and three children. As NGO workers who spoke to me, like have repeatedly stated that um, you know the fact that people are willing to travel in conditions like this rather than remain where they are just drives home the, the level of desperation you have to be in to attempt that, that kind of crossing. Now you spoke to Pietro Bartolo. He's a former doctor who's treated migrants on the island for more than 30 years. What did he say? Yeah, so Bartolo described what's happening in the in the Mediterranean and off the coast of Lampedusa as a graveyard. Yeah, what was happening in the Mediterranean Sea? Forty thousand people have died in mm. the years. Yeah. And Cimitero. Yeah, it's a graveyard. A cemetery. A genocide. Yes. Fra quando finirà tutto questo. He worked on the island treating migrants, yeah, for about 30 years. And, and in that time, he met um, about 250,000 migrants um, who arrived at the pier. And he treated them for things, as I mentioned, like hypothermia, malnutrition, um, dehydration and, and wounds as well from previously um, before they took to the sea from, thing, from torture and, and things like that. He's helped to save thousands of lives, but 
He describes some really harrowing things as well from what he's witnessed, uh, especially the deaths of children, uh, which he said that he continues to have nightmares about. Um, for example, he, he worked on the island on October 3rd in 2013, so one of the most famous um, incidents off the coast of Lampedusa when a boat um, coming from Libya sank and that killed more than 360 people. Um, and Bartolo said that he never could have imagined this kind of shipwreck happening, even in all the years that he'd worked on the island with, you know, various other kind of smaller shipwrecks happening before that. Um, and he, he described arriving onto the shore to see hundreds of, of body bags lined up, which it was his job at the time to inspect and, and to make sure they were dead, that they could be pronounced dead, and then help the scientific police fill in forms about them for identification purposes. Um, and he described one particular moment when he was prolonging checking them because he was so afraid that there might be a child inside. That was always his biggest fear. And he said the first one he opened was a child kind of his worst fear realized that day um and he had a bottle of water and a brush with him which every time that he went to do this kind of work he um he brought along to kind of give them some dignity you know before the pictures were taken for identification um he'd kind of try to clean them up a little bit and, and comb their hair um but you know despite all those things that he that he witnessed um which he said almost led several times to him him leaving the job and maybe even leaving the island that he grew up on um he said he believed that Europe had a lot to gain from from opening its doors to migrants so Bartolo obviously shows, you know, tremendous humanity. And there is a reception centre for migrants on the island. You met uh, a man called Giovanni D'Ambrosio, a social worker uh, for migrant support group Mediterranean Hope. What does he say uh, about the reception centre? Yeah, he described some really difficult conditions, I suppose, at the centre, especially in, in recent months. He said migrants have been completely locked inside since that's that since the COVID-19 crisis. Before that, there was there was a hole in the in the fence which migrants were able to leave the centre from. Um, and from there, they, they were able to go to the town and interact with migrants. And this was tolerated by the authorities kind of unofficially. But since COVID, yeah, this has been this has been shut down. So now the only interaction migrants will have with locals is when they're met at the pier by by volunteer groups like themselves or um yeah he kind of put it very grimly um when you know fishermen are, are, are out at sea and, and they find bodies they go fishing in the sea and they found bodies and um i don't know this it's really like uh, they they made uh, this uh, sea that should be like a sea of crossing and of working of uh, exchanging and they made this, uh, they made this like a cemetery. Like, mm -hmm. I was struck by something D'Ambrosio said. He said, I suppose, as a, you know, as a European, I was struck by it. Um, he said, when migrants die in shipwrecks, it's described as tragedy. But it's not a random incident. It's a consequence of policy in Europe. What did he mean? Yeah, he said that um, better migration policies are needed in all of Europe, and including Italy, and specifically that there was a need um, to overhaul the Dublin regulation. That's an EU law that uh, sets out which country is responsible for looking at an individual's um, asylum application. So this is usually the country where 
the asylum seeker first arrives in the EU. And that means, you know, the majority of EU member states are able to leave the challenges of of dealing with an influx of asylum seekers to frontline countries like Italy and uh, Greece as well. Um, And he was also critical of the difference in treatment for Ukrainians over the past year um, who've arrived all over Europe under the Temporary Protection Directive, which obviously gives them... um, far more entitlements than asylum seekers. And I suppose they've been welcomed with open arms, uh, whereas in some European states, asylum seekers are often criminalised. The Council of Europe has urged Italy to scrap the new decree, describing it as a breach of international law. What's been the response from Maloney's government? Yeah, they've kind of just been mostly met with silence, really, um, because the government is standing by the the new decree. It was only just voted in in February by a majority in Parliament. Um, And the Italian government has claimed repeatedly that uh, NGO vessels are kind of encouraging migrants to make these dangerous journeys because their presence at sea um, and their their greater possibility of being rescued, I suppose, incentivizes illegal migration. They've accused NGOs patrolling the Mediterranean of, of rewarding people smugglers who make money from this by charging migrants hundreds of euros for help with the crossing as well. Obviously, um, NGOs deny this. Um, but yeah, the decree was uh, introduced in December and then passed into law by a parliamentary vote in February. Now, Jade, in your piece, you quote from an NGO about the reality of the new rescue regime. Uh, he said that, you know, when we're not there, there's a heightened risk of people dying or being captured by the Libyan Coast Guard and brought back there, which many people said they'd rather die than experience. That was when I was speaking to uh, Deputy Head of Mission at MSF, Caroline Willeman. Uh, she described it as kind of a, a vicious cycle. She mentioned one man that MSF rescued who at that point had tried to cross the Mediterranean 11 times. She'd also met families with babies who were taking a huge risk um, to attempt or again reattempt the crossing. She said that she'd never met anyone uh, who'd left if they didn't absolutely have to. She also told me a story about when she was on board one rescue where 10 people had already died in the lower deck of of a wooden boat. Um, They'd likely suffocated and had the image of a young boy who was the last to be pulled off the boat by the rescue ship um, would always stay with her because it was the boy's brother who was one of the 10 who hadn't made it and he just collapse into tears. Um, so she said that was a really stark moment uh, and, and a really stark reminder of, of what people go through to make that journey. Coming up, more evidence of a human rights disaster funded by the European Union. Before the break, we heard how many migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean prefer the risk of death to the prospect of capture and return to Libya. But why? One part of the answer lies here in the European Union. Since 2017, a system designed to keep migrants out of Europe has funneled EU money to the Libyan Coast Guard. In exchange, the Coast Guard halts migrant boats before they can reach Europe and brings the passengers back to Libya, where they are imprisoned in camps. In those camps, human rights abuses of the worst kind have taken place, as documented in a recent UN report. I think the essence of our report is that the EU countries have to re-examine the support that they give 
to the Libya Coast Guard and to Libya uh, and to be aware of the fact that uh, crimes against humanity are being committed in that particular context. Sally Hayden reports from Africa for the Irish Times and is the author of My Fourth Time We Drowned, a book documenting the loss of life on Mediterranean migration routes. Sally, there's a new report. It's the final report by the Independent Fact-Finding Mission on Libya that was requested by the UN Human Rights Council. What does it say? The report kind of follows on from previous reports that they've made, which basically say that there's evidence that crimes against humanity are taking place against refugees and migrants who are in Libya. And Libya, as you know, is one of the countries that people are leaving to get to Lampedusa. Um, and basically, it, it's just kind of reiterating what we knew that that people, that migrants and refugees who get trapped there are basically stuck in cycles of abuse where all sorts of things are happening to them, you know, like uh, rape, torture, murder, even um, starvation, different types of abuses. And also it talks about the links between, you know, the official entities and the smugglers that that is not you know it's not so clear cut to say those things are separate that there are links between them and that people are being exploited at every turn and on top of that it also references the EU's role in this Um, as we know the European Union is supporting the Libyan Coast Guard to intercept migrants and refugees who try to reach Europe across the central Mediterranean so they're people who try and reach Libya and either aim for Lampedusa or Sicily or for Malta And since 2017, since this policy began, more than 116,000 people have been intercepted this way now and forced back to Libya, um, where they're generally locked up. And and yeah, we have evidence that there are crimes against humanity taking place against them. Reports often end with recommendations. Is that the case here? Yeah, that is the case here. I mean, there's a lot of recommendations, some of which are more related to the general situation in Libya because they were looking at the overall human rights situation. But some of them are relevant to the treatment of refugees and migrants. Um, It includes them telling the Libyan authorities that they should end the criminalization of irregular entry and stay of migrants in Libya and that they should immediately release arbitrarily detained migrants Um, And it says that where migrant detention is justified, they should ensure that men and women are separated and kept in humane and dignified conditions. Just to explain exactly what they're referring to there, we know that when uh, migrants and refugees are forced back to Libya, they're locked up in detention centres that have been compared to concentration camps by Pope Francis, among others, and that... They are not necessarily charged with anything specific. They don't have access to a lawyer and, you know, the conditions are absolutely horrific and abhorrent. Um, Even many people die inside those detention centres. They also encourage the Libyan authorities to cooperate fully and with and facilitate unhindered and safe access to the International Criminal Court. And we know that the International Criminal Court is currently investigating the treatment of refugees and migrants as well. And they say that they need to apply a strict human rights due diligence policy to their support to authorities in Libya and that they need to abide by the customary international law principle of non-refoulement and cease all direct and 
direct support to Libyan actors involved in crimes against humanity and gross, gross human rights violations against migrants. That's kind of like wording that almost distracts you from the fact that what they're referring to is, is so horrific. It's that, um, like we said, like the EU and European states are involved in supporting the interception of people who are trying to reach Europe and um, forcing them back to conditions where they face crimes against humanity, as, as the report is saying. Sally, your book, the award-winning My Fourth Time We Drowned, documented the harrowing stories of migrants in various Libyan migrant detention centres. You threw considerable light on the situation. The new UN report further backs that up. Do you think Mandarins in Europe reading that report will be prompted to change the policy of the EU? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good question. And I think it's one that a lot of us that are working on this have been asking ourselves for a long time. I mean, a lot of what the report is backing up is actually evidence that I also collected in my book and during my reporting, um, which started in 2018, the year after this policy began. Um, Since then, there have been others who have also collected similar evidence, human rights bodies like Human Rights Watch, Amnesty. Uh, Last year, the International Criminal Court prosecutor came out and said there's evidence of crimes against humanity taking place against refugees and migrants in Libya. Last year, there was a submission to the ICC um, by an organization called ECCHR, which was calling for uh, investigations into named European politicians and officials saying that they were co-perpetrators, basically, of crimes against humanity, against refugees and migrants because of these policies. And I think the evidence is continuing to stack up. I think whether there's going to be any accountability, that's a big question, and it's one that sometimes can feel like... Um, hard to envisage, but I know that a lot of lawyers are working on this at the moment um, and they're working on ways to challenge this and, and to make sure that, you know, at least questions are being asked and potentially there will be some justice. Um, whether it will actually change policy, that's obviously partially a political question. The lawyers say that, you know, they don't think that politically change is going to happen. They think it's only going to come through legal challenges. And at the same stage, politicians that I speak to, I mean, I get contacted now by a lot of European politicians who are very uncomfortable with the way that European migration policy has developed. The fact that it is so, you know, that it is responsible basically for brutal atrocities on Europe's borders. And they will say that they basically feel like they can't act without the European public caring about this issue. And at the same stage, it seemed to me through my reporting that a lot of the European public is not aware that this is happening. And therefore, like, they they can't complain because what's happening to them is not clear or it's quite opaque. You know, even the, the terms that get used to describe these situations can remove us from the fact that you know, there's large scale debt, you know, there are people getting locked up, there are horrible crimes happening against them. And yeah, so will it change the policies? I think this at this point, it's unlikely because these warnings or these this evidence has been released many times before over the last few years. But will we reach a point where there's like so much evidence that something has to change? That's possible. But let's see. That's it for today. 
For more Irish Times journalism, including reports from Jade Wilson and Sally Hayden, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. Thank you.